my children, wherever they go, whatever they do, however far they go, that they know when they come back to that front door, it's home. That's how God wants us to feel with him. Amen. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter number 6. Now, I'm going to warn you ahead of time, it'll be a while before we get to uh, Acts chapter number 6. A little bit of groundwork, uh, or a little bit of laying some groundwork first. But how many of you love green, green beans? Anybody just love green beans? Okay, this is an important question, right? Leave your hand up. I love green beans. Please leave it up. All right, now keep that hand up for just a moment while I ask this next question. Would any of you, with your hands up, choose a plate of green beans over a thick, juicy steak, a plate of shrimp, or the best meal at your favorite restaurant? Leave your hand up. Anybody, I will take green beans. Okay, there's a couple of you. Hey, today's meal, today's sermon is for you. Because I feel like what I'm going to do is I am going to reach over and give you a spoonful of green beans, and then another spoonful of green beans, and then another spoonful of green beans, and then throw some dessert out at the end. This this is not going to be one of those messages where you walk out like, man, I was so encouraged today. Man, we just really dug into the Word. I mean, we're going to dig into the Word, but I think you're going to be like, dude, I don't want another spoonful of green beans. Would you stop it already? Uh, but it's, I think it's so important, right? Because uh, for the last few months, we've been walking through, if, you, if you're with us for the first time or the first time in a long time, the last few months, we've been working through this series called A Biblical Church. And these banners have been hanging behind me now for the last couple of months, and, uh, and, and I know that a question that some have, have asked is like, why in the world does it say up there, elders and deacons? Like, we know what a deacon is, but what is an elder? Now, if you're with us last Sunday, we went through four passages as, as we talked through the scriptures of where mature disciples in Jesus are defined. I say, I say we looked at mature disciples because they were given the responsibility to lead the church, which is full of disciples. So the mature disciples are the ones who, who are going to be leading. And, and here's what we looked at last week. In 1 Timothy 3, we saw how Paul described overseers and deacons. In Acts 6, we looked at how apostles told the church to choose their deacons. In Titus 1, Paul gives instructions about elders, but he calls them overseers too. And, and Peter, Peter instructs elders, but he calls them shepherds. And our focus last Sunday was not on each of these specific positions, but rather how we went to the book of Ephesians. After looking at the descriptions of, of, of these church leaders, we went to the book of Ephesians and said, now look, here's what a mature disciple is in 1 Timothy 3, and this is what every disciple in the book of Ephesians, should be growing towards. Everything that a mature disciple is marked at, a disciple of Jesus, who we all are if we're following Christ, we should all be growing in these areas. And so last week, the focus of the message was that spiritual leaders in the church are simply mature disciples. But every disciple should be on the path to maturity. Now, now, this week, we're going to turn our focus a little bit more closely, though, to these specific roles of church leadership. And, and I know there's some who get uncomfortable when we talk about authority, and, and many times it's because people have, have had abusive leaders, or they've, they've suffered under poor leadership, or some people don't think it's important to talk about leadership because they don't trust anyone anyways. Others don't want to talk about leadership because they trust everyone. 
We have all kinds of different thoughts in, 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 in this room, but, but wouldn't you agree that if the church was one of the two institutions that Christ founded, the other being the family, that it's important how it's led? We find in Scripture how the, the foundation of the home is given, and, and, and then we also find in Scripture the structure of the church. But I'll be the first to admit church leadership gets very confusing. There are hundreds of different types of churches, dozens of denominations, all with different structures of leadership, but all will point back to one book to say, this is where we got our, our idea from. And it gets confusing, and I could tell you one reason why is because, like, Jesus is the head of the church, and we know that. First, in, in Ephesians and in Colossians, we see that Jesus is the head of the church. There's no question about that. But Jesus himself holds the church responsible to follow him carefully. For instance, like in Matthew chapter 18, uh, Jesus says the church itself is responsible to, to deal with sinful disputes. Meaning like, here's what Jesus says. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And they need to listen to the church. And if they don't listen to the church, here's what to do. You see something similar in 1 Corinthians that the book of Corinthians is written, and this is how it starts off, to the church of God that is in Corinth. So we know it's written to the church, but here's what we find in chapter number five. The church is to take action against someone who is living in open immorality. The church is told. Jesus is the head of the church. And the church body, though, is, is being held responsible for the decisions of the church. Meaning, like, in Galatians, it, uh, in Galatians, Paul talks about the church following another gospel. And in 2 Timothy 4, the church is rebuked for fall, allowing false teaching. And so, like, we have Jesus as the head of the church. We have the body responsible for how the church reacts and follows the word of God. But, but then it's very clear through these words like overseer and deacon and, 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 and bishop and shepherd and pastor and elder that there's these specific roles of leadership. So like how does a leader fit into the head and the body of the church? That's what I kind of want to talk about today if we can in the scriptures. But I want to start by asking you to, to make it a little bit relevant. How important do you think the United States Constitution is. Especially with the political climate that we're in today, I think most of us sitting here would be like, yeah, the Constitution is very important. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I'm also going to say, but wouldn't you admit that most people who think the Constitution is important have never read the Constitution? And if they have read it, they really don't understand everything that it says. Which is why we're thankful for like watchdog groups that are like, hey, no, this, this, we know the Constitution. We've read it. We've studied it. And this is not accurate. The government is not acting in line with the, with the laws that have been laid down by the founders of our nation, right? We're, we're glad for people like that. We know in the church we have something similar because I would promise you that there's not too many people in the church today that wouldn't say this is the word of God. But I also know this just from talking to people. Most Christians have never read the book from cover to cover. And even the ones who, who have will admit, yeah, I, I really don't understand all of it. But if the head of the church holds the body of the church responsible for following him, 
but they don't know what he says or what it even means. How do we do that rightly? I think that's one reason that we find that God gifted the church leaders. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read this, so Christ himself gave, gifted, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so the, the gifting of leadership to the church is so that the body can be, be built up so that as we fulfill the mission that we have been given, which the mission is simple, it's make disciples, that, that each church in its uniqueness, its unique culture, its unique setting, even its unique giftings, that they go about making disciples the way that Christ has called that church to do so. Like, like, for example, at Mount Carmel, we invest greatly in, in, in love and time and, and energy and, and care and resources and, and even people for Mount Carmel Christian Academy. Because this church believes that part of the mission of our church making disciples is leading and hosting and running a Christian school for this area. But there's over 100 churches in Page County. So why aren't there 100 Christian schools in Page County? Well, because the, the Bible doesn't say that a church must have a Christian school, but, but the churches decide for themselves how to live out that mission of making disciples. For example, Main Street Baptist, they, they serve meals to the homeless. In Rileyville Baptist, they have a men's feast every year, men's beast feast uh, every year for the men of the community. That's so cool. I love going to that. Rileyville Gospel, Donnie Lamb, they, 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 they go crazy in decorating their entire church property for VBS. It's insane what they do. And every church has just their own way of how they are fulfilling the calling of making disciples. And, and as churches, what we have to understand is we're not in competition with other churches about how to make disciples. No, we don't see what one church does and say, well, they did this. We need to do that better. <laughs> no, no. That's their calling. We support them in their calling, just like they support us in our calling to, to make disciples. We support the work of all of our local churches, praying that God can use us all for the greater kingdom work of making disciples. But there's this connection between how we make disciples and church leadership, because the leaders of the church should be faithfully seeking God through prayer and the word as to how Jesus desires that church in that moment to live out the mission of making disciples and then helping the church fulfill that mission. The question is, who's these church, who are these church leaders? And last week, if you were here, we saw a description of who they are. And it's basically simple. And I know it's a bit of a repeat, but the spiritual leaders in the church are simply mature disciples who have responded to God's calling or the congregation's asking. Now, I say God's calling or the congregation's asking for this reason. Doesn't this feel like green beans? Sorry, does it feel a, feel a bit like green beans? There's got to be leaders in the church that know God has put them there. I, I promise you this. Being a pastor, there, there's many other vocations. There's many other reasons. There's many reasons to choose another vocation. You know why I'm a pastor? Because I know it's what God has asked me to do. There's got to be people like that. 
But then there's other people in the church who respond to a, a need or to a, a desire. For, for example, Christy Donovan, uh, this week, she, she reached out to some of the leadership at church and said, my heart, God has just laid on my heart for some of these Afghan refugees who are being brought over. There's tens of thousands of Afghan refugees being brought to America. And she said, some of them may be brought to Harrisonburg, Virginia. And she said, how can we Go take the gospel to the people that Christ is bringing right to us. I love that. Christy's got that heart. Now she, she's many times, you know, led in people taking meals to the homeless shelter in Front Royal. I love how she's responding to that need. And many, many others of you, you do so. You lead in the church in different ways. We have the Stephen ministry and the Living River ministry that the Dooleys care for and, and, and the post-release ministry that, that John Thomas and, and Caleb and, and, and their wives and, and, and others tr truly have this, this heart for helping people out of their addictions and struggles through their past and, I love how our church just responds. And I want to encourage you. We need more and more disciples to be on the path to maturity. Like we need more and more of you to grow because the church needs spiritual leaders who are seeking God's will. And how, how we as a church make disciples. According to the scriptures we looked at last week, there's, there's two spiritual offices of the church. One is simple. It's called a deacon. The other is not so simple because it's, it's one position with multiple names. It's called an overseer, an elder, a shepherd, a bishop, and a pastor. When we looked at this last week, and forgive me, I, just, I feel like I'm just heaping the green beans and they're falling off the plate already. It's going to get better, all right? 1 Peter 3, Paul says this. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. The overseer is to be above reproach, and he goes on and says what an overseer should be. A few verses later, he says in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, and he defines what a deacon should be. And so we see these overseer and deacon. We looked at a passage in Titus, which is interesting because here's what Paul begins saying. An elder, he talks about an elder, must be blameless and faithful to his wife, a, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient since an... Oh, oops, did I skip Titus? Yep, I skipped it. I'm sorry. Titus says, and an overseer. And then in 1 Peter, we get to this one, which says, where to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock. So, so here's what I found interesting, and may, maybe you can relate to this. Of the two names of church leadership I'm used to growing up, pastor and deacon, I found it so interesting. The word pastor is only found one time in the New Testament. And there's far more about the kind of man a deacon should be, who he should be, than what a deacon does. And so because of that, as I was studying this out, I, I said, I don't want to just know, I don't want to go by what I was told in college, what I've seen, what I've experienced, what I've viewed it, working and serving in a church. What does the Bible actually say about these offices? these leadership offices, because it's so important, right? So I want to I just share with you today, just as we're going to go through it, is what, what, what the office of deacon, and we're going to just briefly touch on the other office with just a little bit of time left. So, so we're going to start with deacon. The word deacon means servant or minister. And deacons of the church are servants of the church. How many of you knew that? 
Okay. But, but here's my question. Shouldn't every Christian be a servant? So why is there this title for this group of people to be servants if everybody in the church is supposed to serve? In John 13, you know, Jesus washes his disciples' feet and he says, then now you go do to others what I've just done to you. He serve others the way I've served you. So if every disciple is supposed to be a servant, why do we have this group of people in the church called deacons who are called servants? Here's the best way I can explain it. Deacons aren't merely called to serve the church. They're called to serve the church by leading the church to serve others. Meaning deacons serve the body of Christ by leading and engaging the body of Christ to serve. See, there, there's some churches and even some church members who would think, well, we have deacons and deacons are supposed to serve me. Okay, there are probably times in your life where that is true, but they're not like your personal servants. The idea of a deacon is given to the church so that the deacons can engage the church in serving. They are leading servants of the church. Now, we, we looked last week at what 1 Timothy 3 said about what a deacon should look like, but I want to I take you into Acts 6, right? I told you it'd be a while. We're finally there. We're going to look at Acts 6 and why the church actually has deacons. So look at verse number 1. Acts chapter 6, verse number 1. The Bible says this, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic, which means Greek, the Greek Jews among them complained against the Hebraic or Hebrew Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, and these names are going to be important. That's why I'm taking the time to read them. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Jerusalem. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, now that that passage is packed with important pieces about understanding church leadership. It starts in verse number one, where it says the disciples were increasing, and when there was growth, there was division, struggle, friction. But it's not the first time this church, early church is experiencing friction. In Acts 4, there was persecution against the church. In Acts 5, there was corruption in the church as Ananias and Sapphira lied about an offering. Now in chapter 6, though, after persecution and after corruption, we see the disciples are increasing. Now think with me for a moment. Who do you think is responsible for corruption and persecution against the church? Satan, right? So who do you think might be responsible for the fact that there's now a problem in the church in chapter 6, too? And see, there's multiple attacks here. We see widows are being neglected. Well, that's not good because there are two groups that God has his eye on. Widows and orphans. And we can't not, as a church, neglect widows and orphans. 
But the unity of the church is being threatened because you have the Greek Jews saying to the Hebrew Jews, you're not taking care of our widows. So there's disunity, and then there's the ministry. The ministry of prayer and of the word is, is, is being endangered because it, they're asking to have their attention turned away from that. And I'm just like, could, could Satan be thinking, well, I couldn't hurt them through persecution. They kept increasing. Then I tried to bring corruption, and that, that didn't. Maybe I could try distraction. What if I can get the, the leaders of the church, these apostles, what if I can get them from stopping to pray? And what if I can get them to stop studying the word of God and, and preaching and teaching the word of God? And let's, let's let them do other good things with their time. But these three potential threats, all three of these were taken care of by one decision. The church chose seven deacons. Because huh. the apostles said, we're not going to turn our attention away from the word and from, and from prayer. But church, you choose seven men. Bring them back to us. But you choose seven men and we will commission them to take care of this need. And now if you think about it, it could be really easy to think those apostles just didn't care about the widows. Or you could think about it and say, well, those, those apostles, they, they didn't think it was important enough to, to, to take care of the widows, so that's why they just asked someone else to do it. But no, that, that's, that's, not, that's not true. What we have to see is how important this decision was. Here's what the apostles did. They valued each believer as spirit-filled and spirit-led by saying, hey, the same Holy Spirit that we're talking to, you can talk to. You can go out and you can choose. You have an understanding of who can lead and care for you. What a statement to the church that we don't have to do your work for you. But they also acknowledged the different types of calls, meaning they weren't too proud to be servants because they called themselves ministers and a minister is a servant, which is a deacon. They already called themselves deacons as being servants, but servants not of food physically, but of food spiritually. So they acknowledge there's, there's this care for groups in the church that need a physical food, but then there's this, there's, there's this care for the whole church that needs spiritual food. And then the apostles, they believed that their unseen preparation would impact their public ministry. Meaning no doubt that if the, the apostles had just left and took care of the widows, people would have been like, man, that was really good of you. But they also believed that by, by setting aside the time of prayer and the time of study in the word, it would impact their ministry to the whole church. And, and I'll be the first to admit, I, I can understand that. It's hard to explain to people. We're going to spend about 35 minutes this morning in this message it will have taken me 14 to 18 hours to prepare. I think the only people who really get that are you ladies who prepare these big meals like Thanksgiving, Christmas time, and you will spend days in preparation, hours in the kitchen. We sit down and how long does it take for it all to be gone? Like 10 minutes and you're sitting there like, are you kidding me? That's it, that was it, that's it. That's how I feel sometimes leaving after a Sunday, like all this preparation, deliver it, and that, that, that's it. Now I got to go do it again. You know, that's sometimes how you think. But, but because the apostles valued these disciples as being spirit-filled, and, and because the deacons were chosen to serve the widows, and because the apostles kept praying and studying the word of God, here's what took place. The widows got fed. The church was unified because here's the cool thing. Of those seven names we read, they are seven Greek names. Which means the 
Jerusalem church chose Greek leaders. Remember the Greeks felt unwanted? They brought them right in and said, we're going to unify this church. But then in verse number seven, it says the word of God spread and the disciples continued to multiply. What a God-ordained decision by the apostles. Satan, you lose again. Now you may know this, but we don't have apostles anymore, right? Apostles were those who were taught personally by Jesus Christ himself. And so we don't have apostles, so who fills that role of church leadership? Well, do you remember what the apostle Peter said in his portion of scripture? He said, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. So this apostle is now calling himself an elder. And the apostle Paul, when he writes to Titus, he says, hey, hey, an elder must be blameless so we begin to get to see so so this this term elder becomes important in church leadership both by the apostle peter and the apostle paul now elder when you think of elder what do you think of there's two two definitions for elder elder of age elderly and elder of rank which is an authority so now we have to just is he talking to the old men of the church is he talking to the leaders of the church? And ready for one more? One more spoonful of green beans. Last one, I promise. Acts chapter 20. You're already in Acts 6, if you don't mind flipping just a few chapters over to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is going to call for the elders of the church. And it's a sad, sad meeting. Paul knows this is it, man. You aren't going to see me again. Our last time we're ever going to talk. And so what we have to know is when he calls for the elders, who's he talking to? So he says in verse number 17 of Acts 20, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And I'm going to stop there. But through the rest of the chapter, Paul is going to tell them what they need to do to lead the church in his absence. Because he says, you will no longer see my face again. So we know that when he calls for the elders, he's calling not for the older men of the church, but for the leaders of the church, those who are going to go back to Ephesus and care for the church. But what I want you to jump down to is verse number 28. Because remember, he called for the elders, but then he says this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So he's, he's speaking to the elders, because that's who he called, but he talks to them like they're shepherds. Take care of the flock, watch for the wolves, take care of the flock. But then the name he gives them is overseers. So is this an elder, an overseer, or a shepherd? And the answer is yes. Elders, when you read an elder in the Bible, it's an overseer and a shepherd. When you see the word overseer in the Bible, you're seeing a shepherd or an elder. And when you see the word shepherd, you're talking about an elder and overseer. But here's the crazy thing. We don't use any of these terms. I'm called a pastor. 
Where do you get pastor from if these elder and overseer and shepherds are used over and over? Well, there's the one place, and we already looked at it, but there's the one place we started with in Ephesians 4 where we said God, Christ gifted the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. This is the one time in the New Testament you see the word pastor. It's actually from the Greek word poimen, which is translated shepherd. Every other time it's used 18 times in the New Testament. So what does that mean when you see pastor it also means shepherd and you know why that's so cool because do you know what jesus calls himself in john 10 the good shepherd that means jesus is the good pastor it's the man weights off my shoulders it's on his that's so cool jesus says i'm the good shepherd the good shepherd, we'll say pastor, the good pastor lays his life down for the sheep. And he says again in verse 14, I'm the good shepherd pastor. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Here's the crazy cool thing, right? Jesus, we started off by saying he's the head of the church. He's the king. He's the leader. But this portion doesn't talk about Jesus as the leader, how he leads how he loves our leader our head lays his life down for us wow he says how he guards us and you look at verse number 27 he said this is jesus still talking same passage my sheep listen to my voice and i know them and they follow me i give them eternal life and what does it say and they shall never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand. Woohoo! That's our shepherd. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So Jesus, he's the head of the church. He's the king. He's the leader, but he lays his life down and he, he puts his down, but he doesn't lay his life down and stay dead. Woo! He raises up to be what Peter says is the shepherd and overseer of your soul. He's the head. He's the leader. He's the, he's the lover as the shepherd laying his life down, and he's the overseer making sure things are done right. He is guarding the church. I love that. You know why? Because every spiritual leader in the church ultimately finds its perfect fulfillment in Jesus. Whew. Deacon means what? Deacon means servant who you think the ultimate servant is oh the one who went and washed the feet of his disciples well you have elder right that's that's the authority well who's the true authority in the church well jesus is the head we have the the overseer the the, the guardian and who's the overseer well we just locked at the shepherd and overseer of our souls and who's the shepherd who's the pastor jesus he's the good shepherd this is so important because you know why because it's easy to look at humanity and as as good as some of the leaders in this church are it's easy to look at those leaders as to say well you need to be for me no no no, no they can't they can't they can't ultimately we have to look to jesus we, we have three pastors in this church guess what the three pastors they love you imperfectly and always will because we're imperfect 
but there's one who loves you perfectly, so keep your eyes on him. And there are deacons in this church that serve, and they don't always serve when they need to, how they need to, where they need to, when you need it most. But hey, there's one servant who's never going to let you down, and that's, that's our Jesus. And we have so many people who love leading different portions and ministries of this church, but there's only one overseer that's going to do things right all the time, and that's our, our Jesus. It's, it amazes me how it takes multiple people to fill this one role that Jesus fills, or to fill all these roles that Jesus takes care of by himself. And that's not the first place. We don't see it just in the church. You see it in Old Testament Israel. How did Old Testament Israel get led? A king to take care of the people and the politics. A prophet who spoke to the people on behalf of God. A priest who went to God on behalf of the people making atonement for their sins. Guess who our Jesus is? He's not just a shepherd and an overseer, an elder. He is the king of kings. He is the true prophet. And he is the great high priest. And he came to Israel as the true fulfillment of every one of their leaders. And what did Israel do? Let's nail him to a tree. As a church, you got to understand, we can't do that. He is the true shepherd, the head of the church, the overseer. Jesus is all we need. I recently read a book. And, and in the beginning of the book, it was, it was detailing a man's trip through South Africa. He visited 20 different churches. And he said, I went to all these churches and they were, they were all discouraged and defeated and disheartened. And, and he said, but I went to this 20th, the very last one, right before the trip ended, the 20th church. And then I walked in this church and it was different. There were whites and blacks worshiping together. There, there was praise that was being lifted like he had never heard before. There were multiple languages being spoken at the same time in this church as they were all worshiping one God. And he's like, I gotta talk to this pastor. And when the whole service was over, he walked up to that pastor and he's like, listen, this is who I am. This is what I've done. Your church is different. Why? And the pastor said, I don't know if I could tell you, but let me, let me share, share with you my very first meeting with this church ministry staff leadership. He said, I, I walked in and everybody had, was, had already arrived and there was one lone chair right in the middle of the table. And he said, I just knew, obviously they were saving that for the leader of the church. He said, so I stopped and I looked around for a chair I found myself another chair and I sat in that chair and I pointed to the empty one at the middle of the table and said, that chair, from this moment on, Jesus Christ gets the leader's chair at every meeting. We will stop asking ourselves what we have done or what we want to do. Instead, we will continue to ask what Jesus desires for his church. For this is his church and we need to be willing to make any changes necessary to fall in line with his desires. I love that. The man that everybody looked at as the leader of the church said, oh no, I'm not. Jesus is. And because of that, the church was different than all the other churches. Man, that, that really did something to my heart. I love that. May Jesus always be the leader of this church. 
And now you say, so what, Pastor? You tell us, spend all that time scooping green beans onto our plate, telling us about church leadership. Like, well, how does, what am I supposed to take away from that? Just, just briefly. Keep growing into mature disciples because the church needs spiritual leaders to lead in the mission of making disciples. Please, please, church, keep growing. Keep maturing in your faith. Don't say, I've learned enough. Keep growing. And pray for your spiritual leaders. Satan attacks through persecution, through corruption, through disruption, through distraction. He is on them, loose, always fighting to make us lose the mission of making disciples. And then can I encourage you to be willing to serve wherever Jesus leads you? Because he doesn't ask for perfect disciples. He asks for willing and obedient disciples. He will empower you if you're willing to follow him. So if some, the Lord lays something on your heart, step into that. And then ultimately look to Jesus and not to man. Uh, I walked in and, and two of Aaron's uh, good friends, Jeff and Jamie, are here and, and uh, said their daughter, who just recently uh, went to a, a new, new church in Florida, she moved to, to, to attend the University of Florida, and we, we were just uh, getting a chance to talk, and they said, hey, well, Julianne picked a new church, and uh, she said, and she really likes the church, but she said the the music just isn't as good because they just don't have a worship leader like Aaron. Like, oh, hey, Aaron's cute. Well, let me back that up. I, I gotta get. I don't want to get myself too deep. Aaron's a great guy and a great worship leader. But you know what? Why why the worship is important? Because it's not about how Aaron leads it. It's about who the worship's going to. This church isn't about who's speaking behind this pulpit. It's about whose word we've received, whose spirit indwells each of us, who talks to us and who leads us to say, hey, go out amongst the world that you live in and make disciples as I lead you. That's our Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for just the, the ability to be able to to understand your word and to, to speak and to share and for, for a church that, that is willing to handle the, the green beans today. But man, what a good dessert and finishing that up with knowing that no matter what the Bible says about our, our spiritual leaders, it's ultimately about who our Jesus is. That's good stuff. Thank you for being the good shepherd. Thank you for being that that caring that you would lay you lay your life down for us. And you raised it up and you you've taken over the headship of the church. You always are the head of the church, and yet, yet you care, you guard our souls. Jesus, you know that we're gonna fail. We 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 will, we we always do at some point. We don't want to. Thank you for, for never failing us. In church, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to be real honest with you. If you're looking to yourself for salvation, you're going to fail. There's one. There's only one to whom salvation can be found, and that is Jesus. You may be able to do good things, but you've also sinned. And that sin has brought separation between you and the relationship with the Father. But Jesus, who never sinned, 
He went and he laid his life down for the sheep so that you can have that relationship with the Father, not because of anything you have done, but because of everything he has done. Oh, Jesus. Would you work to draw those who's, who maybe they, there's still this thought that I can earn, I can do, I, I can make my own way. Lord, help us to know we cannot make our own way. You are the way. And Lord, for those who have trusted that in years past, may we be reminded again today just the beauty of who our Jesus is. King, prophet, priest, elder, shepherd, overseer, pastor. You're everything. May we absolutely love that and listen to your leading this week as you lead us to serve others the way you have served us, to love others the way you've loved us, to take this good news of the gospel to those whose ears need to hear. Give us wisdom as a church as we follow and live out the mission of making disciples. Can I ask you just to sit while you're sitting at your seats, just to take a few moments. Would you ask Jesus, where do I fit in? Well, what's, what's my part in, in making disciples? What role do I play? How do you want to lead me? In, in whose path have I come in recently where I, I, I need to go back? Or God, lead me in someone's path this week that I could step into and talk about how good our Jesus is. Can I ask you just to be honest? Are you continuing to grow and mature in your faith as a disciple who follows Jesus? Father, you are our everything. Thank you for the way that you love us, the way you care for us. You shepherd us, you serve us, you oversee us, and you lead. Thank you for who you are. Lord, for all that you have done for us. In your precious name we pray.